Hey everyone, Pastor Blake Harkup here from Bedrock, Sarasota. I just wanted to take a minute to welcome you to our podcast. We hope that you get to know God more, that you feel encouraged, and that you see how God's moving in your life from a brand new perspective. Enjoy today's message. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Okay, you guys aren't great. Okay, I get it. I get it. It's fine. I'm going to preach so you get excited. Okay. Um, I'm excited to be with you this morning, and I do want to just make a mention of Day for Hope. It's an incredible opportunity for us to be the church. In fact, uh, what will happen on that day, August 7th, is 80 students from this school will arrive here in the morning and be greeted by our, uh, our staff and our team, and hopefully you as a volunteer. And when they come in here, they're going to walk right into this room, and they will receive a backpack. And in that backpack will be all of the supplies that they need for that school year. And I don't know about you, but it's really hard to be successful when you don't have the tools necessary to do that. And so we want to, as a church, we think that every place that the church exists should be better. We, we, we really believe that. And, and we believe that we, as a church, we, we meet here, we pay rent here. And, and if you know the story about how that works, like we pay rent directly to this school so that this school can, can do some things. In fact, if you're new with us, you wouldn't notice all the changes. But uh, Friday night, a guy came in, a company, um, and they cleaned the gym floor. And they're going to be cleaning all the floors in this building absolutely for free. And then last weekend, we did a serve weekend. We painted the foyer. We had the whole building pressure cleaned, and if you might have noticed all the new plants that came in as you were walking in, all of that happened because of, one, your generosity as a church to not only give, but to serve. And this is an opportunity for us to serve. And so students will come in, they'll get their backpack, they'll get to talk to us, you'll get to walk with the family through the day. Uh, And not only that, they'll receive food. Uh, So any kind of food pantry items will be loading into their car for them. But also, we want to give them the opportunity to receive prayer if they would like that. It's not mandatory. Like, you don't, we don't pray first and then you get your stuff. You get your stuff. And if you want prayer, you can have that as well. But here's the incredible thing is that night, we're also going to be inviting them right back here for church. So we want to, as the church, not only provide for people's physical needs, but we believe that we're uniquely established as God's church in the world to help meet spiritual needs. And so we want to do that for this school. And, and the, the students that we're serving go to school here. And so I want to ask you again to be a generous, a generous church because in order to sponsor one kid for the year, it's $55. So we as a church have already bought everything. We, we've done it. But if you'd like to help with that and you would like to, to give towards sponsoring a kid, I know we have four kids, so my family's going to sponsor four kids, okay? And so, uh, and we want our kids to come here and pack backpacks and, and give supplies and be part of serving and learning what it means to really love your neighbor, especially if it's the neighbor you don't know. And so we're going to do that on August 7th. I would love it if you would come and participate with us. I really believe this, church. I believe, yes, people are going to come in here and be blessed, but I believe you'll be more blessed. I believe you'll leave here or come to church that night right afterwards, and you will know, and you can lay your head down on your pillow that night, and you can sleep well because you know you made a difference. What an opportunity and a gift it is that God gives us when we serve. Um, and so if you're new with us, I first want to welcome you. My name's Blake. I'm one of the pastors here at Bedrock. I'm so excited that you're joining us. Uh, we have a gift for you. If you fill out a, a, a card, we give you a coffee mug. It's great. If you don't like coffee, you can put tea or water in it. Uh, but, uh, or just re-gift it at Christmas. It's coming up. We did your shopping for you. So, um, but we're continuing on in this series that we're going through this summer on the book of Psalms. And so if you missed the first week with us, uh, we went into the first two psalms of the book of Psalms. And the book of Psalms is a bunch of different poems or, or kind of these songs that are put together. And honestly, the way I want you to think about the book of Psalms is it's a, a book for exiles. See, because what happened to Israel when they were put into Babylonian captivity or the temple was destroyed, everything that they had, the place that they had to worship was gone. But they still needed a way to worship God. And that's where the Psalms comes in. It's many of these stories and poems that would be memorized by people so that while they were away in the wilderness, they could have a way to connect with God. And I don't know where you find yourself in life right now, but maybe you're in a wilderness. Maybe you're in a place where you feel so far away. And the Psalm that we're looking at today is only six verses. I mean, in some of the the ways that these psalms work, they're written as songs. 
And I don't know about you, but songs are really one of the best ways for you to memorize things. Like anyone in here do uh, ABCs? Do you guys just say A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P? Are you like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, twinkle, twinkle, little star, I'm confused what's happening, right? But what you realize is song and lyric and melody help us as people memorize and remember. And so these psalms are written as poems or songs, and it helped the people remember what God was doing and and what was happening. It was a way for them to connect with God. And so if you feel far from God right now in your life, there's no better place to be than here right now. And there's no better book of the Bible for you to understand. And so Psalms is, is put together in, in kind of, the, there's 145 chapters, but it's broken up into five different sections. And so today, we, we've, we covered the first two Psalms, which is about the Word of God and this King who's coming. The first Psalm is, the wise man walks in the counsel and the law of God, and he meditates on it daily. And then the second Psalm is about this King Messiah who's coming into the world. And the rest of the book testifies to the first two chapters. It says, hey, these first two chapters set the pace of what this whole thing is about. The Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the praise of God, who is this King coming to save you. And so we're going to be in kind of this first book, and and today we're going to be in Psalm 23. This is probably one of the most famous psalms there is, the, the Psalm of the Good Shepherd. And so it's one of my favorites. It's six verses. You can easily memorize it. And let me just tell you, this psalm is meant to comfort you in dark times. So if you're in that now, you might want to start memorizing uh, because it will, I promise, help you. But in order to begin uh, our study for, for today, this morning, I, I, in preparation for this, I, I kind of got into a place um, that I wasn't expecting to this week. So I actually watched a net, new Netflix series to help me prepare. And the name of the series, it might have pulled up on like, you might like this. Uh, it's called How to Become a Tyrant. And you're like, Blake, what is <laughs> this is weird. Well, don't worry, I'll explain everything. But this series focuses in on, it's like five or six episodes, and it focuses in on kind of the most prolific tyrants of our kind of modern era. So Hitler's in there, Gaddafi's in there, Stalin is in there, all the big ones. And what it begins to do is talk about how these different guys, if you look at the way that they were tyrannical, they follow the same playbook. They follow this mechanism of things that they did in order to become tyrants. Because I don't know about you, but looking back in history, when I look back at, at, at Nazi Germany, or I look back at, at Stalin in Russia, or or I look back at Gaddafi, I always ask myself the question, how in the world did they get here? Like, how in the world did this actually happen? I don't understand how this happened. I, I, I don't know how they got here, and that's the benefit of always looking back, isn't it? Because, I mean, let me ask you a question. Like, what tyrants are in your life right now ruling and reigning over you? Have you ever gotten so far down the road in something you shouldn't be doing that you kind of go, how did I even get here? Like, how did I even arrive at this place where it dominated me so much that I am being ruled by this thing that shouldn't be ruling me? Like, how many of you, when you were little kids, dreamt about the day that every decision that you would make would be ruled by money? I don't know about you, but if I had 50 cents in my pocket, I was going to the gumball machine twice, right? Like I wasn't saying, I was like, yeah, here we go. I didn't care about money. Money didn't rule me. But now I've noticed as an adult, adulting is hard. How many of you make all your decisions based upon financials? Look, money's not bad. Money's amoral, not immoral, amoral. It's not good or bad. It's what's happening in you that reveals where your heart is. Like, your money's what I call a great revealer. It just shows you where you're at. It can become this tyrant. And so these tyrants would come together, and, and they kind of, to become a tyrant, they did five things. What they would do is they would seize power. But many of us believe that they seize power by force. They don't. They seize power by opportunity. How many of you have ended up walking in something in your life that you should not walk in because there was opportunity, because there was crisis in your life? See, tyrants are opportunists. 
So they seize power. Then what they do is they crush their rivals. How many of the things that may be ruling and reigning in your life right now are crushing every other good thing in your life right now? It crushes rivals. Then what they do is they reign through terror. Let me put it another way. They, they live by fear. It's a fear-based culture, right? Like that's how they're not overthrown right away because everyone's freaked out about what's going to happen. And let me just tell you, they, they use the military. They, they win over the military. There is no tyrant that doesn't own the military. And so they rule by fear. How many of you are so afraid to walk into something or you're in something right now and fear's driving you there constantly? How many of us like will do things in relationships or in our life or make compromise decisions based on money because we're afraid we'll be alone. We'll be afraid we'll never be satisfied. We're afraid that that something might not happen or that if we don't do this like we will have an issue. And then what happens is is they begin to control the truth. They begin to shift and move and maneuver the truth. And I want you to understand and go back to the Garden of Eden and look at the tactics of the enemy and how this is exactly what it is. He's a tyrant. There was an opportunity. He used opportunity to seize power. When he did that, he crushed all the rivals. Did God really say? Begin to to move into doubt. And then what he did is he used fear. Do you know what the original issue was? It was FOMO. Fear of missing out. If you eat of this tree, you will be like God. I don't want to miss out on being like God. Man, I'm going to eat of the tree. And what is that? It's a twist of the truth. And then what happens is, is this new society is created. And that, like, that's the playbook. If you want to become a tyrant, there's, there's your playbook, okay? Like, that's how you do it. Go get a military, get on that, and then you just look for opportunity, Okay? And so what happens here is, is you may be sitting here and you kind of are going like, this, this is like easy. Like, I, of course, I'm not going to choose a tyrant, but I want you to understand something about this series, what they pointed out. Every one of the tyrants that were put in were elected. They were elected. They were welcomed in by the people. They were welcome into the people's lives, and then the thing that they thought was going to save them was the thing that began to crush them, was the thing that began to rule them. And I wonder for how many of us, in a moment of crisis, in a moment of fear, in a moment of, of just total desperation, we heard a tyrant say, I promise you, if you come with me, you'll be okay. If you come with me, I promise you, you'll never be without. And so make that compromising decision on money. Lie about that thing. Go have sex with this person or go watch that thing you shouldn't be watching because you know what? You deserve it. And how many of us all know you generally fall into something you shouldn't when crisis is in your life? I'll just, here, I'll give you a really easy example. We always say this, never go to the grocery store when you're, why? Because you're in crisis and desperation. And what do you do? You buy everything, right? You're like, sauces? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I need that, right? Like ice cream? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm on keto. Why are you buying ice cream? It's for later. I don't know. I'm desperate and I'm crazy, right? And then what happens? You start munching in the grocery store, right? Who's a muncher in the grocery store, right? You get some grapes. You're like, you know what? I don't pay by the pound, right? Like you're eating it, right? Like desperation will breed for you compromised decisions. And so today, what we're going to look at is Psalm 23, is this psalm that talks in a moment of desperation, but, but David gives us another way. David is going to give us another choice, and he's going to begin to show us the choice that he made, and you and I need to follow in his footsteps in this series. See, Psalm 23 is the most intimate psalm in the book of Psalms. Generally, God is referred to as a rock or a king or something like this. It's a little bit more distant. But David, being a shepherd, if you know the story of David, he's the shepherd boy who used a sling to kill a giant. This boy who used a sling to kill a giant was then told to be king. And right now, what's happening in David's story is he's hiding in caves because the king became a tyrant and is hunting him down. He's hiding in a cave in maybe the darkest moment of his life, remembering the promise of God and maybe doubting it, but he chooses a different path. 
And so what happens here is David uses in his darkest, deepest moment, the most intimate possible analogy that you could. He uses a shepherd. And the reason why he does that is because shepherds were always close and intimately involved with their sheep. Shepherding is not a job of delegation. Shepherding is a job of participation. And so David used this idea of God being a shepherd to tell this story. And so that's right where we find ourselves today. And so today, here's what's going to happen. I am going to give you five questions that can change your destiny. Five questions today from the book of Psalms, chapter 23, that can change your destiny. How you answer these questions will really affect where you end up in life. And you may be in a desperate moment. You know what the incredible thing about God is? Is that if you woke up with breath in your lungs today, there's another opportunity. You may think, like, it's too far gone. It's too bad. Oh, you don't even know. And God goes, I gave you breath. If the story was over, I'd bring you home. But the story's not over if you've got breath. And so if you're feeling discouraged today, be encouraged you woke up this morning. Because God has an opportunity for you. The question is, will the decisions you make lead you to that opportunity? So let's jump right into this morning. So I just want to let you know um, that this book, I really want to recommend it to everybody in the room. This book, one, shaped my life in college. These are going to become Christian classics, no doubt about it. Um, but there's, this is three books in one. It's by a guy named Philip Keller. And the book that I use for today is A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. I don't know about you. I don't know a lot about being a shepherd. Like, I don't, I, it's not something I have experience in. So this guy is a shepherd. And he writes about some of these things that happen in Psalm 23. And honestly, it will blow your mind. Because God is using, and David is using, a common analogy of the day that's not common for us now. And so I'm going to do the best that I can to kind of root out what's actually happening in the text so you can understand some of the greater truths that's going on here. So Psalm 23, we're going to start at the very beginning right here in verse 1. I'm going to go ahead and read the whole psalm so we get context, and then we're going to dive right in going verse by verse, okay? So here's what we got. Psalm 23, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, if you just listen to the words here, you may want to close your eyes. Just listen to what happens. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You, referring to God, the shepherd. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is what David is writing from a cave, being pursued by an enemy who surely wants to kill him, a tyrant who is out to devour him. And so the very first question that we're going to ask is really simple. And David answers it right in the beginning. Who is leading you? Who's leading you? I mean, this is such a simple verse. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You may have noticed there, that's, that's not a spelling error, uh, but in, in the text, you might have noticed in your Bible, it's L-O-R-D, all capitalized. That is a way for you and I to realize this really special word used in the Bible for God. Yahweh, I am. This is how God answers Moses in the burning bush. Moses says, hey, I'm talking to a burning tree. I'm going to go tell this Pharaoh to free the people, this tyrant to let go of my people. Uh, this is a little crazy. So who should I say called? Who should I let them know sent me? And God says, tell them, Yahweh, I am sent them. And this is a word that was for so long in the scriptures and so long in history 
unspeakable because this was the name that God had given for himself. In fact, we all, you guys ever heard the term hallelujah? Hallel means to praise. It's a Hebrew word meaning praise. So halle is to praise, and then it has the end of the word yah, which is a hyphenated, shorted form of the word Yahweh. So when you hear hallelujah, what you're saying is praise God. Praise be to him. In fact, the last 10 psalms of the book of Psalms are called Hallel or Hallelujah Psalms. So the book begins with the word and the king and says the only response that we have to the word and the king is to praise. That's what we got. That's at the end of the day, that's what we got. And so this word that is used here is Yahweh. And I want you to understand something that's so incredible about what was just said. Because we can look at it and go, the Lord is my shepherd. Great. What David has said is, I'm choosing who's leading me. Because he could have said, fear is shepherding me. Anger is shepherding me. Hostility is shepherding me. War is shepherding me. Anxiety is shepherding me. I'm in a cave and a king's coming after me. How many of you would be a little anxious? Like a little bit like, <laughs> my heart feels like it's in my throat. I can feel my heartbeat in my head because I'm freaked out. Right? Like, that would be you. That was what would be shepherding you and causing you to make decisions. What David says in his darkest moment is, Yahweh God, the God of the universe, is shepherding me. But it, it gets even more intimate than that because the word that David used is Yahweh, the only name that God gave for himself when he answered Moses, who should I say sent you? I am Yahweh. And I want you to understand something. So as I was thinking about this, and uh, Philip Keller goes into this in the book, how astonishing that is. Because I want you to understand something. Yahweh is the, the governor, the creator, the sustainer, the one who holds together in all power the entire universe. Listen to what Colossians says in chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. He, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and from him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Everything that was created in the universe was, is, and is held by him, created by him, for him, and through him. And so I begin to think, like, okay, so how, what does that even mean? The whole universe, everything. I'm going to just give you a little science, because my mind was blown this week. Listen to this. The earth, the planet we're residing on right now, is 196.9 million miles around. 196.9 million miles around. Okay, that's big, right? I mean, that's big. Some of us can't even walk a mile, right? And we got 196.9 million? Holy moly. Okay, let me just give you some context. That's big. There is 1.3 million earths that would fit into our sun. 196 million miles around, and 1.3 million earths would fit inside our sun. And our sun is tiny. I mean, the, okay, so you're like, that, that's crazy. All right, so let me try to give you some more things. Uh, because space is so large, we don't measure things by, by normal standard measures. We you use what's called light speed. Any Star Trek or, or, or Star Wars fan? Light speed, right? Like, this is traveling at the speed of light. So let me just tell you how fast light goes. Light speed, in one second, light will travel 186,000 miles in one second. 186,000 miles in one second. That means that in one minute, light travels 11,160,000 miles. It takes light four and a half minutes to get to Earth from the sun. Did you know that the earth is hit with more energy from the sun in an hour than we use in a year? Anyway, sounds like solar energy might have some promise. Anyway, um, in an hour, light travels 670 million miles. In a day, 16.1 billion miles. In a year, 5.8 trillion. In one year, light will travel 5.8 trillion miles away from the sun. So let me just tell you some things. The Milky Way, the galaxy that we live in, is 100,000 light years wide. 
our galaxy, the one that we reside in, is 100,000 light years wide. I don't even know what number that is. Like to say 5.8 trillion times 100,000, that whatever that number is, a lot, that's how wide our galaxy is. Our galaxy is 100,000 light years wide. That's big. The observable universe that we can observe is 9.3 billion light years wide. 9 point, like, no, sorry, not 9.3, 93 billion light years wide. David just said that Yahweh God, who is the creator and sustainer of all things, is personally shepherding you. You, as an individual. He says he's not the church's shepherd. He doesn't say that he's everyone else's shepherd. David says, Yahweh God is my shepherd. The God of what we know to exist right now, 93 billion light years wide, universe is personally invested in your life. And you say, that's just too big of a number. Let me bring something closer to home. One teaspoon of soil contains more living organisms in it than are people that are alive today on the earth. So not only is God the God of the universe, he's also the God of that teaspoon of soil. And he is intimately involved in your life. If you've ever doubted for a second that God loves you and cares for you, just like it's so much so that you can't even fathom how big he is, and yet he's involved. That he's involved. Like, th- like, not that we're God, but imagine holding a teaspoon of soil, and you're intimately involved and know by name. You can count the numbers of hairs on their head, and for some of us, that's not a lot. I'm on my way, right? But here's the deal. You know those things so well that you know the number of hairs on their head. You're intimately involved. This is what the Bible tells us that God is like in your life. He's intimately involved. David, the Lord Yahweh is my shepherd. And then what he says is because of recognition that God is shepherding in him in his life, that he will never want. Now, wanting is this incredible thing because these tyrants that we have in our life, they want to rule you too. But remember, tyrants enter your world when you elect them, when you allow them, when you bring them in, when you say yes to them. That's how they get and seize power. Through opportunity of crisis, you will say yes to them. You'll feel lonely, so you'll want to go look at something on the internet that you shouldn't. But in your crisis of loneliness, the internet will go, hey, I'm just a click away. I mean, you'll still be alone, but you won't feel as alone. Hey, I'm really desperate for money. I'm really having a hard time. Okay, so go do this thing you shouldn't do, and you'll make a couple bucks. I promise you, your needs will be met. But how many of you have walked into something that you shouldn't go into, and then the return on investment is terrible because you feel awful? Right? You feel awful. Um, it's like a vicious cycle because how many of us, the moment you feel bad about what you just did, you go back to it to feel better again. And then you do it again, and then you feel bad again. And then you do it again, and then you feel bad again. And then all of a sudden, you got to get into weirder, worse stuff to now meet the need. And then it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And you find yourself being buried because that's what a tyrant wants to do with you. A tyrant wants to use you and then bury you. That's what they do. That's what tyrants do to people. They use people for their benefit and then bury them. And that's why the Bible says this. The wages of sin is death. Because sin is a tyrant. It will use you and abuse you and then bury you. And so David says there's a choice here in desperation. Is it going to be the good shepherd or is it going to be the tyrant? Who's it going to be? What do, you, what do tyrants look like? Sex, acceptance, fear, anxiety, lust, love of money, notoriety, fame, ourselves, our selfishness, or our sin. And so David says, you got to choose this good shepherd. So what is the good shepherd like? He's kind. He's giving. He's generous. He's loving. He's looking out for your best interests. He's all-powerful. He's forgiving. He's able to do more than you can imagine, and he's eternal. 
And he doesn't want to bury you. He wants to bring you to heaven. He wants to shepherd you really towards green pastures and still waters. So let me just ask you, who or what is leading you right now? Who or what is leading you right now? What's leading your life? Is it the tyrant or is it the good shepherd? Because what David says is that when you follow the good shepherd, you shall not want. That doesn't mean that you never have need. It means it will never be lacking. Not wanting is more than just not being without. It means you are completely content not wanting more. How many of you need some of that freedom? How many of you need to be so content in the one who's leading you that you don't need anything more? Not like the desire for more is gone. Right? Has anyone in here ever been to that place? You're so satisfied in something that you, you I don't need anymore. It's, I'm so, it's so good, I'm done. Right? Like you have a Chick-fil-A sandwich. You're like, it's so good, I'm done. Right? <laughs> so I just needed one. And then you're like, no, I'm just kidding. I need two. Right? Extra pickles. Let's go. All right. So what happens here is when you serve a tyrant, it will never be enough. Because if it is enough, you can leave it. Right? Is there any, ever anything, anything that you've walked into in your life that's leading you that's been enough that you're like, you know what? I'm just going to walk away. Thank you, sin. That was great. I feel great now. feel refreshed. Thank you. I'm going to go. No. Sin will always take you further, faster, longer, and deeper than you ever intended. That's the kind of leader it is. It will bring you in. And how many of us have woken up one day and go, how did I get here? Because you followed a tyrant, and a tyrant, sin will always overpromise and underdeliver. Sin will always say, I, you'll be so happy. You, oh my gosh, you, won't, you can't even handle how happy you're going to be. It's a new level of happiness that you will have, and then you do it, and you're like, this is awful. I feel terrible. Right? You ever been on a diet, and then that ice cream's calling out to you, like, you're going to feel so good when you eat me. It's so awesome. And then you eat it, and then you're like, I just feel awful now. Why did I even do that? That is what sin does all of the time. And so even this week, as I was praying about this and I was, I was walking through this, th there's this incredible kind of image of the faithfulness of the good shepherd in the life of those who follow God. Uh, John and Rachel, would you guys mind coming up real quick for just a second? Um, Trin, do you want to come up? All right, you just sit back there. That's cool. Don't worry. It's cool. Just didn't ruin my plan or anything. It's fine. No, I'm just kidding. So if you guys don't know, John's the guy who went through the announcements and, the, uh, and sang for us this morning. And Rachel, she generally like plays a role in the back. But uh, John is on staff with us. He's our worship pastor. And just kind of any problems that I have, I call John. Um, and then John just, he just deals with it. Uh, normally by, we just ignore it. Anyway, and so, but Rachel is a hairdresser. And she, is that right? Yeah. Hairstylist, is that a better term now? Stylist? Yeah. Dresser seems weird. What, you're putting clothes on people's head? All right, so uh, Rachel does that. And if you need your hair styled, Rachel's the one. But um, if you don't know anything about John and Rachel's story, and, and by the way, they're up here. I asked them permission, okay? So I'm not oversharing. And I want to say what I'm about to say is not a prerequisite for us to love and serve you. We just, I call them and ask them if we could use this as an analogy. There, there's something that happened the last two weeks that they did, they weren't aware of. Um, so my wife, Kelsey, was with Rachel, and um, she was getting her hair styled for five and a half hours. And I don't, what kind of, what happened? Good night. I was like, she was, Kelsey was late for a date with me because she was with Rachel for five and a half hours. So when we got to dinner, I was a little bit like, okay, I'm here. Well, I exist, okay? And so at dinner, I said, well, just tell me what happens on a five and a half hour long hair styling, because my hair takes about three minutes, okay? What happens on a day like that? And Kelsey's like, you know, you just talk a lot. You talk. And I was like, oh, sounds exhausting. <laughs> All right, so I'm never going to get my hair styled. And so I said, well, what, you know, what did you guys talk about? And she's like, you know, there's some stuff I don't really care to hear. I'm like, well, okay, the, nope, not going to hear that. But there was one thing that she said. She said, um, you know, John and Rachel, if you don't know, they're adopting two girls. And they're kind of halfway there. One of the girls has been adopted, and we're in the process where, like, because I'm in. I'm saying we're because I'm in, okay, is on the way in the process. In fact, while we were on family vacation together like a month ago, mm -hmm. I need a haircut. Um, 
while we were doing that, um, we actually got to witness one of the girls' actual adoption process. So it was a Zoom call with the judge, and we sat there with our friends and our kids and watched this little girl get officially adopted. And we were got to be part of that process. It was incredible. Well, Rachel just shared with Kelsey that part of that process um, with the other is that they have to do a brand new home study. They, they've moved homes in this process, and they have to do a brand new home study. Can I just tell you adoption's too expensive? It's just too hard to do the right thing sometimes. I hate that. We need to do better. So I, Kelsey said, yeah, they got to do a brand new uh, home study. And I was like, well, what does that mean? And she said, well, what that means is it's the tune of $800. $800 for people to come and look at your house, which they already looked at your last house, to do this all over again, including lawyer fees, including this whole process, including all these things. And I don't know about you, but that made me mad. And when I get mad, I get moving. So I pulled out my phone at dinner. And I said, uh, wait a second, Kelsey. And she's like, no phones at dinner. I said, well, you had a five and a half hour meeting. So I'm on my phone. Okay. And I texted all of our friends in that moment. And when I did, I said, hey, guys, we love John and Rachel. And we need to do something about this. And so I texted our friends and I said, would you be willing to give to help pay for this process? We got to get this done. I want to see this girl adopted because we love her so much. I want this to be over. And um, friends from this church and others, uh, with literally within like an hour and a half, we raised $1,200. And I just want to let, yeah. <clears throat> so I want to let John and Rachel know, and, and we gave them that $1,200 last night. Uh, and they did not know that that was coming, and we, and we're, we are with you in this. Um, but it's not because they couldn't do it, but it's because the church is meant to love each other and go through things together. And so we wanted to show our support, not by just saying, hey, good luck, let's do this, with like, here you go. And so, thank you, John. I love you. We love you. Love you, John. What'd you say? Oh, you got stage fright. Okay. I'll never do that again. Okay. Um, <laughs> But what, here's what it is. It's not to go, hey, pat on the back, bedrock, because you're a generous church. What it is is when you follow the good shepherd, you shall not want. See, they've been faithful in following the call of God in their life to go and do what God has called them to do to adopt these girls. And let me just tell you, it's a lot to do that. It's, it's beyond most people's means, no matter how well off you are. And the process is so, such a big process but what happened is, is in a moment where they were in, like, we got to do this again. This has to happen again. We got to go through this process again. And of course, they're going to say yes, because they're going to do anything that they need to do to adopt this girl. But in that process, God used his church and his people to say, my sheep will not want. Let's make this happen. And in the same way in your life, you, if you follow this good shepherd, will not want. All your needs will be met in a miraculous way through the church, whatever it may be. But here's what that means. God will remove the desperation from you if you wait. Some of you like are in a need right now. You have a want and a need right now. The question is, are you following the good shepherd right now? And are you being patient and waiting on the Lord because he is working and moving upon your behalf right now? Or are you choosing a tyrant? Like, it would have been easy just to whip out the credit card and go, okay, okay, but how many of you know credit cards are tyrants? They're, like, you know, they don't mind calling you at any time. Hey, where's that payment? I don't know. Where's, I don't I'm scared. Uh-oh. Right? Like, oh, wrong number. Delete, delete. Okay. That's what you have to understand. You will not want. A tyrant, you're always going to want more, and you'll never be able to stop running. So what happens here is the very first question is who's leading you. The second question is peace or war. Is it, is it going to be peace or war? Listen to what the Bible says in Psalm 23, verses 2 to 3. Make, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. See, one thing that I didn't know about sheep is sheep have one line of defense. 
And this is who God chooses in this analogy to compare you and I to. We're sheep. Like, that's it. That's the best he's got. He's like, you want to know the animal that represents you the best? You want to know your spirit animal? Sheep. That's what you guys are. Because sheep are actually super scared. And they're full of wool. They're, like, not built for survival, let's be honest, okay? But there's only one thing that a sheep has to, like, defend itself. Run. Run. That's it. That's what a sheep has. They can run. Not even that fast, but they can run. They just got to outrun the other sheep, right? Like, just the slowest one. He's like, oh, Billy, go! And then they, you know, they're gone, and then the wolves get Billy, okay? That's all they got. And so sheep are super skittish. How many of us in here can compare to sheep? When life gets bad, we get to running. Like, oh, out of here! I just got to outrun them. Let's go! What happens here is God says, I don't want you to always be at war, always on edge, never experiencing peace. God says, I want you to lie down in green pastures. And so in order for a sheep to lie down in a pasture, four things have to be met. They have to be free from fear that something's not going to come devour them. They have to be fear, free from fighting within their own ranks. They have to be free from hunger through the green pasture. And they have to be free from pests, flies. And I thought about that and I thought, man, how, how much is that so many of us that fear? It, it, are, why are you afraid when the good shepherd's standing there? Like what removes the fear for the sheep is when the shepherd is in the pen with them. Because they believe and they know that the shepherd will guard them. And what about fighting? How many of us, like your relationships are a mess so you can't sit down. Like, your heart is always anxious. You're always in this moment where you're fighting and worried. And so you're in this moment in your life where you're just fighting and you have no peace. You can't lie down. What about hunger? And the Bible's not talking about, like, are you physically hungry? What the Bible means is spiritually hungry. And the Bible refers to itself as the what? Bread of life. That this is the bread that will sustain you continually. So let me ask you, is your soul hungry? How many of us, when we go down wrong paths and do wrong things, or maybe we're just far from God in this moment in our life, our soul is yearning for something spiritual? I, I honestly, if you look at the world, the majority of the world is spiritual. Spiritual. We, we have a belief system. Even if you're an atheist, science is your God. So there's this need for us, there's this hunger in us because we're designed to be in relationship with the good shepherd and then free from pests. The pest would be the tyrant. The pest would be that fly that's in your eye constantly and it will not give you a break and you cannot move forward. The pests are the tyrants. They'll never let you sit down. Why? Because they want to use you and abuse you and put you in the ground. So they'll never let you rest. They'll never let you have peace. And God says, as the good shepherd, I will make you lie down in green pastures. I will make you walk near still waters. I will take you on the path of righteousness. What does that mean? The right path, the safe path, the good path, the guarded path. I will do that for my namesake. And so the tyrant will never satisfy. You'll never give you satisfaction. And generally, the tyrant will use urgency to cause you to make an improper decision. I have to do this now. If I don't do this now, then it's all going to end now. And how many of us make a wrong decision when it's urgent? Because how many of us go to the good shepherd in urgency? We more so just run and move. We move towards the thing that's meant to devour us. We move towards the thing that is going, because we didn't like just wait and be still for just a second and hear from wisdom. We just go. In fact, do you know how lions actually hunt? There's a book by Levi Lesko called Running Towards the Roar. I would recommend anyone read it here, but this is a quick lesson. What happens is male lions actually participate in hunting. Everyone thinks it's just the females. The male, he doesn't do much, but he maybe does the most important thing. What the male lion will do is he'll run in front of the, the thing that they're trying to hunt, and he'll move in front of it, maybe a mile off. And then the female lions will move behind what they're trying to hunt. And when they're trying to hunt something like that, in order to move what they're trying to hunt into kind of this den or, or this, this group of female lions, the male lion will run in front and roar. And if you know anything about a lion's roar, if I'm right, like it can, it can be heard for over 13 miles. 
Anyone ever been out by Big Cat Habitat at night, like the celery fields? You can hear the roars, right? I mean, pre from pretty far off, you can hear the roars. And so what happens is the safest thing for th that thing to do is to run towards the roar rather than run the opposite direction. Because there's only one male lion. There's, there's five or six female lions over here. And so what, what happens is, is because of urgency, because of this moment, we get tricked into going towards the wrong thing. And so when you feel like you have to make a decision, it might be the moment where you don't make a decision. It might be the moment where you sit still for just a second because what you'll find is you willingly elect a tyrant into your life. This need needs to be met right now. And God says, that's not true because I am the good shepherd and if you follow me, you will not want. I will take away the urgency. Just be still and know that I am God. See, the tyrant is always going to take you to a place that you always need to fight. He's always going to take you to a place where there'll never be enough. The good shepherd will always lead you to a place where the war has already been won, where you can lie down and be in this moment. And so first question is who's leading you? Second question, peace or war? Third question, triumph or trouncing? I mean, it's simple. You think that's like an easy answer. How many of us are doing things that are totally demolishing us? You're like, that's easy. Of course I'm going to choose triumph. Really? Like how many, anybody in here making a decision, walking towards something that's totally annihilating them right now? Totally just dominating you and taking you where you don't need to go? Triumph or trouncing. Even though, this is what the Bible says in verse 4 of chapter 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For your rod, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That... Uh, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. What does this all mean? Because I, I need you to understand something. Sometimes when you're being led by the good shepherd, you will walk through the shadow of death. You will walk through a valley that seems like it's meant to devour you, but it's on the way to the green pasture. Sometimes you're going to have to walk over mountains to get to valleys. Sometimes you're going to have to walk over sand dunes to get to the beach. Sometimes you're going to have to walk over rocky soil in a hard place to get where you need to go. But what you have to realize is, is that in the moment, in your darkest moment, your simple choice is tyrant to take you off the path or the good shepherd to lead you in the way that you should go. Franklin, come up here real quick. Because you have to understand something that happens in this passage. See, shepherds generally lead from behind. That way they're able to see the entire flock, right? You can't lead people if they're always behind you because you can't see them. That's not called leading. That's called following. Leadership is not about gathering followers. Leadership is about serving people. And so what happens is, is the shepherd generally will walk behind the sheep, amongst the sheep, guiding and directing them where they should go. The language changes here in the Bible. The analogy shifts. Because what happens is, is when the good shepherd, when you go into the shadow of the valley of death, the shepherd goes from leading from behind to coming right beside. That's the total analogy here that David uses. When I am in my darkest moment, you are right beside me, leading me. And then he says this, I will fear no evil. Why? Not because there's not evil in the darkness, but because the shepherd is with me. How many of you, when you walk into a dark place, a dark room, or you're in a place that you're scared, all of a sudden your, your senses are heightened. You all of a sudden have like Superman hearing and you can see through walls, right? Like you're like, oh, there's something that's here. That's what's happening. And what happens is, is how many of you, when you were kids, you got scared, but as soon as you got to your parents' room, everything went away. That's what God wants you to understand. It's like walking into a dark room, but your parent is right there saying, hey, don't worry, we got this. It's going to be okay. And so what the Bible says is that God walks beside you and leads you through your darkest moments if you allow him. Because how many of us, when things get scary, instead of looking and leaning into the one that we should be with, we start looking at all this. Oh, and why does God get so close in the darkest moments? Because right here he can whisper. 
right here, he can be close and just say, it's going to be okay. I promise, be patient. We're going to get through this. We're going to walk through this. I promise you, what you have to learn in this season will bless you and will pre- prepare you for the green pasture. Just, just trust me. And so thank you, Franklin. And so what happens in this moment, David says that your rod and your staff, they come for me. The staff was used by the shepherd. You guys seen, it's the old staff with the hook, right? That was used in the darkness that, to lead the path. This is where we're going to go. This is where we're going to be. The rod was this stick. It was about this long that a shepherd would use to beat any enemy that came against his sheep. Rod. Like a, it's a beating stick. And he, the, the shepherd would use it to go beat the wolf or go beat the lion or go beat a bear or do whatever he needed to do. He would run after that thing and start wailing on it. And what David says is, when I'm in my darkest moment, the rod that leads me and the staff that will beat away an enemy is my comfort. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You are beside me. See, the tyrant is going to push you into the dark room and make you take the enemy for him. Going to make you take all the beating, make you, why? Because he wants to use you, abuse you, and bury you. God walks into the room with you. says, we got this. I, I can see in the night. Don't worry. And he walks right there with you. And so maybe you're in a moment right now where you aren't sensing the presence of God in your darkest moment. The problem is not that God's not there. The problem is you're not perceiving him there. He's there. He's with you. In fact, right now, the Bible tells us he's right beside you. You just got to turn your attention from all the noise out there to what's right next to you. And so finally, let me ask you a question. Are you confident or confused? Confident or confused? This is the peace which surpasses understanding, right? This is what the Shane and Shane song, which quotes the Psalms, though you slay me, still I will praise you. Right, because look at what happens in David's analogy. He says, you're this good shepherd who's leading me, and when I go to this valley which I'm in right now, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So what does that mean? In the moment when you are most in need, there is an abundance of provision for you. And then David's heart turns because he's recognized who God is and what God does and where God is to a secure assurance in his future. Look at what it says, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. He says this in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death. He says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I want you to notice something that that David used this analogy from being in the shadow of the valley of death to being at a table. And then being at that table, he's fully assured. See, what the Bible says is that in the midst of your worst and darkest moments, God is creating a feast for you to sit at. Why? Because you don't have to fight your enemies when you're with the good shepherd. He's fighting them for you. He's dominating them for you. And you can sit down and in the midst of your worst moment, enjoy a meal. You can sit down and not have to bow down to these tyrants because God is right there with you. See, the shepherding analogy there is when a shepherd would move sheep into a new field, before he ever did that, he would walk into the field and make sure that there were no poisonous things for the sheep to eat in the field. Because there are these sheep that if they eat this one thing called camus, it will paralyze them. I mean, just a nibble will paralyze them, and when that happens, they're dead. And so the good shepherd goes in, and before the feast, sets the table. He goes in, And gets ready and says, I'm going to prepare a place for you in the midst of your enemies, which I will remove. I will take care of so you can lie down, so you can be by still waters, and you will have victory over your enemy. And so how many of us right now, God, if you're a Christian, God has set the table for you. This isn't not happening. You're at the table with God right now. The question is, is are all of the tyrants that are around you right now causing your gaze to go off of the one whom your gaze should be upon? When Kelsey and I go out, I always ask for a corner, as much as I can, a corner table. Because here's my problem. 
when there's TVs on or there's a lot of people moving in the restaurant, my, my eyes leave Kelsey and start going to everything else in the room. Not because I don't care for Kelsey, it's just distracting. There's all these things. So I always ask for a corner, and I try to put my back to the rest of the restaurant. Because I want to remove every distraction so I can focus on the one whom I need to focus on. In the same way, some of you, God's sitting across from the table with you. He's prepared a meal for you. Jesus is sitting right there, and the only thing you can look at is everything that's around you. And God is saying to you right now, whispering to you right now, stop looking there. Look right here. And how do you look at God? You look at his word. You look at his truth. And he says, I have set a place for you and your enemy will not be able to touch you. You only need to be still. And so as we end this morning, there's a really, the final question, the simple question is, where am I being led? So who's leading you? Is it going to be peace or war? Are you going to be in this moment triumph or trouncing? Is it going to be confident or confused? Because David surely seems confident that the rest of his life, the place that he will dwell and eat is in the house of the Lord. But let me tell you a quote from this book that so profoundly shifted my perspective. He says this, As I have moved among men and women from all strata of society, as both a lay pastor and as a scientist, I've become increasingly aware of one thing. It is the boss, it is the manager, the master in people's lives that make the difference in their destiny. I told you today that there are five questions that would change your destiny. How you answer these questions will determine where you end up. And it doesn't, like, you, yes, it may be heaven, but you may be not answering the good shepherd right now in your life. And so are you really experiencing all the goodness the good shepherd has for you right now? Let me ask you, is it working? Are you satisfied? Do you sleep well at night? Are you, oh, did my mic go out? Do you sleep well at night? Are you, are you at peace? Are you constantly worried? Are you constantly fearful? And I'll just tell you one thing. The thing you think about most is the thing you worship most. And some of you are sitting at the feet of tyrants. And God is saying, this is your invitation to follow the good shepherd. And so who is the good shepherd? Jesus made it really clear for us here. He said this in John chapter 10, verses 11 and 14 to 15. Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. He's going back to this Psalm 23, which Israel and the people of God had been looking for forever. Where is this good shepherd who will save me? And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I am the good shepherd, verse 14. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. So it's always been really about one question. Who is Jesus to you? That's it. Who is Jesus to you? Because the good shepherd is Jesus. So here's every question, everything. It's a binary choice. It's Jesus or the tyrant. It's Jesus or the tyrant. It's Jesus or the tyrant. And what David says is, in my darkest moment, I chose Jesus. I chose God. I chose it in this moment. And the invitation has always been to sit at his table to sit at the table of God, and I am reminded at this moment of a table. See, Jesus, right before he went to die for the sins of the world, had a last meal, and he invited all of his disciples to a table. And when he did that, he broke bread and poured wine to remind them of the invitation. And at the invitation, he says, this bread and this wine will satisfy you forever. If you have these two things, which are him, you'll never want. You'll lie down in green pastures. You'll be by still waters. And so today, to end the service, we're going to praise here in just a second, but we're also going to take communion because the invitation's always been to come to the table. And the table's always been the provision of God, the perfect provision of God. And the perfect provision of God was him. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And when he did that, he purchased the field. 
He removed the enemies. He took everything that you and I would need for peace in this life. And so these five questions determine your destiny. So I'm just going to ask you, where are you headed? Tyrants will always abuse, use, and bury you. Jesus will always protect, uplift, provide, and guide you. Where do you want to be? It's binary. It's simple. Who's Jesus to you today? And so I'm going to pray, and then would you just in this moment before we take communion, the Bible says that whoever drinks or eats uh, of this without contemplating, without being right with God, eats or drinks judgment upon themselves. So as we sing and as we sit for just a second, if there's anything in your life where you've been following a tyrant, where it's been dominating you and ruling you, now's the time to deny the tyrant and move towards the king. And here's what I know. You don't have to run back a far way because God's right there. All you got to do is turn. I'm turning from this tyrant. I'm no longer going to sit at this tyrant's feet. And as soon as you get up and turn, you're at the feet of Jesus. And so this morning, the decision is yours. But whatever tyrants you need to let go of, today's the day. And it's time to move forward to follow the good shepherd. And I promise you, you will be in green pastures and by still waters. Thank you for jumping into today's message. And we truly hope that you were encouraged. If you were encouraged, would you like and share this with someone that you truly love and care about? It may just be the thing that they need to get through this week. Also, let us know how the message impacted you. And please let us know any ways that we can be praying for you. But finally, I just wanted to take a minute to thank all of our supporters and those who give generously to make all that we have and do here at Bedrock happen. If you'd like to support us, you can do that really quickly by texting 84321 with any amount and setting up text to give, or you can give on our website. Thank you once again for all that you do, and we hope to see you soon.